Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the Wednesday Buckeye Talk. Doug Lee Murray, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. Camp is right around the corner. We'll be there on Thursday morning watching practice, talking to Ryan Day. Uh, and so your Thursday pod will come a little later in the day. It'll be a reaction to what we see and hear on Thursday. So Nathan and Stephen obviously got you guys ready for camp on the Tuesday pod. And so we're going to dip back in. For with some recruiting stuff, as we record this on Tuesday afternoon, we'll start, Stephen, with the idea that Ty Lockwood is out, flips out of the 2023 class into Alabama's waiting arms. People kind of thought it was coming. Certainly not a shock. What do we make of it? I hate saying Bama's Bama. I'm getting tired of saying it, but that's the best way to sum this up. This is a kid who lives in SEC country, and let's just be honest with it. For most of his existence, Alabama has been the standard for college football. It'd be probably dreamed of playing for college, for Alabama at some point. And he didn't have an offer up until last week when he went for a barbecue, got an offer, and that changed a lot in this situation. And what makes it notable is the fact that this was Ohio State's first member of his 2023 recruiting class, and he's been committed for over a year. And all it took was Alabama bringing this kid on campus one time and giving him an offer, and now he's flipped to Alabama. But didn't it also take Ohio State take, taking another tight end in this class? He so actively, Ronnie Thurman's ranked higher, right, than Tyler Lockwood. Are we really thinking they're going to wind up with two top 150 tight ends at a place that doesn't throw to tight ends? I mean, they've been trying to do it for cycles here, and he was actively recruiting Jelani Thurman. And honestly, he's only been – Jelani Thurman's only been rated higher than him as in the recent update of the 247 Sports Composite Rankings. Ty Lockwood's a borderline top 100 recruit and has been for most of the time he's been committed to Ohio State as well. Um, so I, I don't, I wouldn't put that at the top of the list of why he's no longer in this class. Would you, Nathan? I haven't talked to Ty Lockwood, so I don't know. But it, I, I have the same assumption as you that it had to probably play some role. I also think, again, it's it's important that we try to give people some perspective on with these things. And yes, I know that. He first tweeted about this offer last week. Yes, I know that he just went to this barbecue recently. I, I think that my assumption is there's a relationship here that goes back longer than that, too. Like the, these guys don't stop getting recruited usually at any point of the process um, unless they make it adamantly clear that they don't want to be. And I don't think that was the case here with Ty Lockwood. We've talked about I mean, they need more talent in the tight end room, right? We've We've thought that we've talked about how the last couple of classes, maybe they weren't bringing in since Rucker, right? Maybe they weren't bringing in super highly rated guys at tight end, but I don't know that when I think about Ohio state's recruiting class, that two tight ends who were among the top 150 players in the entire class. I don't know that that's what I think Ohio, I, I, that actually, Stephen, like almost doesn't make sense to me. 
Like they don't throw to tight ends here. Why would two top 150 guys both come here? Like I don't, that, that is a, an extreme bonus to me. Great. Great. Yeah. Of course you don't want anyone to, to flip out of, you know, you like Ohio state, you want them to get all the best players in the country. But um, if they didn't have a tight end or if Ty Lockwood was a corner or a defensive end, I think there'd be a lot more energy um, to this. I don't, I don't have a lot of energy for it. Like it, it seems like, well, it's not, you know, good luck to him. And, uh, but I, it feels like this is survivable for Ohio state. Yeah. I think this pod more than any has been dear top 150 tight end. Why would you come to Ohio state when you know, you're not going to get the ball, go somewhere where you, where you know, you're going to get the ball, even if they are trying to preach the developing you as a complete tight end thing. So I agree with that wholeheartedly. It's like, it's only an ouch because of the extra context. Outside of the actual football reasons for this are fine because Jelani Thurman does exist. If this, if Ty Lockwood had committed in February and this had happened, we'd be looking at this very differently. Yeah, this is just like another weight attached to the excitement balloon of recruiting around Ohio State football that keeps getting kind yeah. of dragged down here these last couple of weeks. They just, and I agree with you, Doug. I don't know if there's anything that would necessarily happen in the tight end room for this class that would be devastating. We're looking at the tight end room as it looks for this 2022 team. And it's not blowing our hair back, but we don't talk about it as potentially a reason why this team can't win. So that's, I think, important context for this. But also, I I think they just, from a PR is not the right word, but just just an excitement standpoint, just an enthusiasm standpoint, they just need something good to happen in recruiting. And it needs to be more than like the fill-in quarterback between classes. How real is that, though? Do we think that's real? Yeah, I don't do. What, do we think it's real? As in terms of like, is it affecting the program? Probably right. not. It's it's more. Then just what is this? What's it affecting? Fan morale. Who cares? Like like I mean, fans can think whatever they want. I'm in a yeah. fight on Twitter right now defending Browns fans. I love fans. They pay my salary. Fans can think whatever they want, but we have to be able to pierce through that. Like. It doesn't. I, I'm, I'm I think not that's the context saying, we're giving, right? Yeah, it doesn't change. You guys are saying that if he had committed in February and now decommitted, this would not be the a rea- big deal. We're saying the reaction to it wouldn't be the way it is. We're not. We're, we 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 just said for the football reasons, it's fine. All right. So you guys talked about recruiting some on the Tuesday pod, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is there actual, do we think momentum is actually a thing in recruiting? Like they had a bunch of players they got earlier. You're building your whole class. Sometimes you get a bunch of commitments. Sometimes you don't. Um, the rankings change as teams get commitments at different times. As Stephen has written about many times, Alabama often starts later and there's like a bum rush of Alabama stuff that happens. But when you look at, Recruiting in February, it's like, oh, my gosh, what's wrong with them? It's like they're going to come as again, as Stephen has has pointed out repeatedly. Like, does this it is. It, I, I know, like fans are upset, but is there any part of it that is real that you hit a stretch where some the next thing that doesn't go your way happens because a bunch of things have not gone your way in a row and all of a sudden players who were excited about committing to you are not as excited. Like, is, is that ever real, Stephen? Yes and no. I do. It, it almost, 
it's an individual case. It's almost the way that Nathan has talked about the safety recruiting where, yes, Xavier Wampa, Zion Branch, all this, Caleb, all that is individual events. But when you rack them all together, it becomes this big thing that you look at. Depending on the recruiter's momentum, I think if you're Keon Keeley or you know Mateo Uyungleye or JT Tuimaloao or Jack Sawyer, no, teams are going to wait for you to take your time to, to make your decision whenever you feel like making your decision. But if you're a guy between, let's say, 85 to 250 or something like that, where you might look at a run of commits happening at a program you're genuinely interested in, but you wanted to take your time, you might take that as, I should probably claim my spot because spots are filling up fast. But then some of this is also just how they plan on rolling out commitments, right? Brian Hartline didn't find out that Carnell Tate, Brandon Innes, and Noah Roger were committing that Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. He'd probably known for a couple of days here, and they put a plan together so everybody could have their moment. And the same thing when the cornerbacks did it. And whenever else you have a bunch of commitments, there is a level of this. Make sure you have your day and your moment to be to, to shine in the spotlight. So it's, it's a little bit of that. So – that type of momentum where it's like, oh, Ohio State's got their third straight commitment on their third straight day. That's not real momentum. But I do think there is something to you come out of something big, whether it's a bunch of visits or a big game, and you feel like something should pop from that. That's, I think, where the real momentum is. Each of these are individual decisions, individual relationships. And if if fans out there are, are concerned that there is a negative momentum happening here that is going to affect decisions to come in the future – that's not what I think is happening. Okay. They're third right now. Notre Dame first, Alabama second, Ohio State third. Well, yeah. no, they're, well, that's probably not updated. They're going to fall to, I think, fifth behind Georgia and Texas after losing Ty Lockwood. Oh, when you take Lockwood out? Yeah. It takes them a while. It's, it's, it takes them a while to do it. This is just, you know, computers, robots, technology. So if you go to the class calculator and do it, it's 18 commits worth 278.43 points. Okay. Which is fifth. It's actually fourth because it's still ahead of Texas. So it'd be Notre Dame, Alabama, Georgia moves up to third, Ohio State okay. fourth. Okay. Um, and I was just, I mean, like, again, I was talking to people the other day and the reference was, we think Ohio State will have a top five class, right? So um, in the end, and I don't know if we ever thought Ohio State was going to have the number one class. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to defend like, oh, everything's great, even though, but. Um, I just want to like sh- make sure we're like digging down on what's perception, what's reality, what matters. And that's what we're going to talk about on the bigger picture is some of these things where when you, you know, when it's done and over and you compare year over year, class over class, where maybe are some, what are some things that you can see trends, Nathan? And I do think like it, even, so there's the individual class. And as you said, everybody's, makes an individual decision, but year over year, right? You can, you can have a bad class. You can have a weird class, but year over year, trending upward, trending downward, especially as assistant coaches and sometimes head coaches change. That's real. Yeah, absolutely. I think you can definitely say that Ohio State did not have the recruiting momentum it wanted for offensive tackles going back a couple of years now, right? Which is why they made a change there. I think it's important too. That's why I was glad that we talked about recruiting the way we did on that podcast last week. And I don't remember the day. Was it Thursday that we did the the big breakdown of the 2024? 24, like, yeah. yeah. Thursday putting, putting what's happening right now in context of what that team is going to look like because of this, that's always the important thing. And I, I would encourage people to always do that. Don't look at these decisions completely in a vacuum. You know, if Ohio State were to get a decommitment from a top 100 receiver right now, 
uh, people would not lose their mind about it because Ohio State's well stocked right there. So always make sure that's an obvious one, but make sure that you're looking into the future and taking the proper perspective on, on how this is all coming together. And that's coming from people who I think have been critical of specific things within Ohio State recruiting for a couple of years now. Yeah, we all see it because it wasn't that they had bad momentum in their offensive tackle recruiting. It's that Greg Sujaro wasn't doing good enough of a job and then he got fired. Right. So right. like that's that's like a real thing. Hey, this position group, this coach, this area, the 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 strategy that we employ of do we go late? Do we go early? When do we bring in guys? All that is real. Did you get a bunch of recruits, you know, this month or not this month is less real than the strategy, the individual relationships that coaches build. The head coach, is he closing closing the deal on guys? Are you going after the wrong kind of guys and you're wasting a lot of time and resources on guys that were never going to come here? And then all of a sudden, guys that you could have said you're late on B, now you go back to them and you're too late. They're off to somewhere else. All that, all that, all that, all that, all that, all that. And they have, listen, they're usually ranked pretty high, but they haven't been perfect in that. So what we are trying to talk about here, and I did bring this up to somebody within the last week, using the phraseology here, we're talking about home run recruits. And what we're trying to discuss is guys, and this is how I'm thinking about it, Stephen. You, you've been, you and I have kind of been bouncing this off each other and trying, mm-hmm. like, trying to zero in on what this means. To me, it's the kind of recruits that potentially can make a very big impact and aren't sort of guaranteed to be here regardless of who the staff is. Mm-hmm. So we're not, this is not counting. If you're from Ohio, you don't count because going back to Woody Hayes, you know, in my recruiting book, Glenn Mason was saying, we knew when he worked for Earl Bruce, we knew if there's a great player in Ohio, we had to get him. That's mm-hmm. the standard. What's the Ohio State standard of recruiting? If there's a great player in Ohio, you have to get him. So that's true for everybody. And then it is greatly noted when they don't. Then we have a Jackson Carmen conversation, right? And everybody gets a little bit fired up. So it is greatly noted. We know the situations. Charles Woodson, we know the situations when it doesn't happen. So those don't count. And then the ties that we talk about a lot. And I'll be frank, Stephen, there weren't quite as many as I anticipated coming in. But if you're Tate Martell's father and grandfather went to Ohio State. Garrett Wilson had roots in Ohio. Demetrius Knox had roots in Ohio. Donovan Jackson's dad is from Cleveland. Like all those kind of things that there is something pulling you to Ohio State that doesn't start with an assistant coach reaching out to you. There's already something there. Eli Apple Mm -hmm. was coming to Columbus for camps like every year since elementary school. Eli Apple spent his life waiting for an Ohio State offer. So the, the foundation was laid. We're mostly talking big impact guys where when the recruitment starts, Stephen, you're kind of starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. That, is that a fair analysis of our definition of a home run recruit? Yeah, that's perfect. And I agree. I did not find as many Ohio ties as I thought there were going to be because I was ready to come on here and you know get down in the nitty gritty with that. But yes, that is perfect. It's like you had no business getting him, but you went and got him anyway. You And you beat other really good teams who wanted him just as much and had yep. just as good of a chance at him as you did, and yep. you won. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're talking about. Nathan, 
this definition, because again, when I was talking to somebody about it, it's like, well, you know, Paris Johnson doesn't count. But if Paris Johnson went somebody else, we went somewhere else, we'd go crazy. So you can't get a plus for Paris Johnson, but you can get a huge minus. You can't get a plus for Tyreek Smith. You can't get a plus for Jerome Baker, but we can have 10 podcasts when you miss on those guys. So I understand that. And I also think when I was talking to people about that, they get it. They know what we're, where we're coming from here because the power of Ohio state and Ohio is great. What do you think of this definition, Nathan? Well, I, it's at the end of the day, it's, it's the crux of how Ohio state competes for the national championship. You're not going to do it just by winning Ohio. You're not going to do it just even by winning the Midwest. You've got to go out and and win those recruiting battles, such as they are, in the far-flung places. When Ohio State has won national championships here or, or been in that mix in recent years, it's guys from Maryland and California and places like that, Texas, that are as central or more central to that endeavor than the state of Ohio is. That's what separates you. If, if you're not beating Alabama and Georgia for those guys once in a while, you're not beating them on the field. I don't know how it happens. And I think a slightly more sophisticated way of doing this would be also subtracting the home runs that you let someone else hit. That Jackson Carmen is a minus for you. Charles Woodson is a minus for you because John Cooper was going out and hit some national home runs and giving up some home runs in Ohio. Right. So there, there, there is a little bit of a give and take there. We're mostly talking about the, the guys they're taking from somewhere else, not who they're giving up. But that second thing hasn't really been happening that much lately. I know Jackson no. Carmen, it's been, that has not been the big issue of late. No, you're right. And no, if, it hap- if, if it happens, it happens at positions where, well, they didn't get him because they went and got that guy. They got somebody better. Yeah. They got somebody higher. Yeah. Up, somebody like, yeah, right. no, 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 no. That, right. I'm not saying that the, the reason we're not doing it is it's kind, because it's kind of not applicable to the current situation. It's not really happening. So, you know, we're going back. I went back to 2013 to that first great urban Meyer class. And so there's a couple guys in there, but like, it's, it's not enough to like really change how we view this. So when we come back, we have home run numbers, home run numbers as Juan Soto just got traded baseball trading deadline. As we are talking about this on Tuesday afternoon. So we're trying to get, trying to get some of that baseball trade deadline search traffic. You throw a home run in the title. Maybe you'll get some baseball fans who accidentally listen to this podcast. If that's the case, welcome baseball fans. Your sport is kind of boring, but I hope you enjoyed the exciting trades. Are you still around at this point of the podcast? You never know. You get some stragglers. Like you never know. You never know. People just who put it on and they leave the, they go to the bathroom and they, they come back and it's playing. There's an American history podcast that I listened to called The Dollop, and uh, my wife was going to listen to an episode one time about Enron, about like the story of Enron, and she clicked on it and was like going to do some work, and she listened to the whole podcast and was like, what? what? That didn't have anything to do with Enron, and it was actually an episode about the history of truck nuts. Did she miss here? Did she think she heard she the word the Enron? Oh. She, she was like well into it, and she's like, where is this going? Like, this has nothing to do with like energy and, and, and finance and everything. And then she looked and was like, oh, I hit the wrong one. It's the history of truck nuts. What are truck nuts? Oh, Douglas, we're going to get some texts about this. Everyone, send if you have truck nuts, send Doug a text or a tweet with a picture. No, of the truck no, nuts. no, 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 don't. Please don't. I just for two seconds, I thought because I was going to Google it and then I thought. No, 
What's let's the truck move on. What's let's truck move on. For real. It is just it's 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 a uh, vehicle um, adornment that hangs off the back of your truck. I don't understand. Is it, does it does it serve a purpose or is it decorative? It, oh, it's decorative. it's purely decorative. And they did a whole podcast on it about the history of like who came up with them and uh, this the, the crazy story of of that company, I guess. Oh, I don't know if I, I've actually listened to that episode. I, I would not listen to that episode. It's quite good. It's a it's a great it's a great podcast. Frankly, I might not listen to this current episode, so we'll see. All right, next on Buckeye Talk. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Doug Lamarie, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means talking home runs. I went back to 2013. Stephen, you also did uh, similar research on this. I did. I only went back to 2020 because I was trying to make with the story I I wrote for it that'll be up. By the time you guys are listening to it, to this pod, I wanted to focus strictly on Ryan Day's tenure here, but I understand why you went back to 2013. Well, I mean, you have to have the comparison. I think that's where, yeah. like, where are you? Because I, I do think a lot of what we have said and people have said is that Ryan, in the Ryan Day era, with Mark Pantone as the recruiting guru and Ryan Day being a very good recruiter himself, Ohio State has continued the recruiting prowess of the Urban Meyer era, and perhaps in some ways improved on it. So I think we do need some comparison to see if that is actually true. And it might, if you look at it a certain way, and I don't want to like, we're not like trying to find a negative way to look at it. It's like, oh, because there is a part of this. It's like, well, if you throw out the quarterbacks and the receivers, and it's, you mean if you throw out the positions that are the most important that they're the most successful at. So that's not what we mean, but we're just trying to parse it a little bit, right? We're trying to make a point. So um, it's, it's almost a who's doing their job and who's not conversation. That's, that's that's not a bad way to put it. And I also think people also probably know the answer to that already. Yes. And this is going to enforce some of that. So this is, this is how I looked at it. And I I was going to, pull some guys out and not include some guys. But then I thought, well, the numbers are there for a reason. So it's basically, I did top 100 recruits by two, four, seven. I think somebody was one one and I included them. Hmm. There were some guys who were like 92. And I was thought Tyler Friday's in the top 100. And I remember when Tyler Friday committed, it's like, is Tyler Friday really a home run? Like, is that, is that a designation I would use for an edge rusher from New Jersey that, it was nice, but it didn't feel like it was program shaking. But then I was sort of like, well, you know, I don't know. Who am I? Who am I to, to draw lines for no reason when we have a top 100 we can use? So this is the definition to me. Top 100, no Ohio ties, not from Ohio. Between 2013 and 2018, that is six classes. Ohio State had 37 guys who fit that description, Nathan, this home run description, 37 guys. 
2013, four, 2014, six, 2015, five, 2016, three, 2017, nine, and 2018, 10. 2017 recruiting class is blows you away. It is unbelievable. And there are very specific, specific things that people know about. And so that is an average of 6.2 home runs per class. Between 2019 and 2023, and 2023 isn't done yet, so they might add a couple more home runs, but I don't know mm. how if we're holding our breath. I mean, you know, Uyunglele would be that, right? So, I mean, yeah. they, they can still get one. So far, they have 23 in five years, and that's 4.6. So they've gone from 6.2 to 4.6. That's one and a half fewer, Nathan, per class, which doesn't feel like it's that far off. But when you do it, that's six players on your roster yeah. in a four-year cycle. Yeah, I think it's significant. I think it's it's 1.6. So that equates, it almost equates to five players in a three-year cycle. So think of like this year's team having five more top 100 players that are either, um, or even if you're even just doing two years, this team having three more top 100 players spread across this roster that were guys that you had to go out and fight for nationally to get. Yeah. And that then aren't at Georgia and aren't at Clemson and aren't at Alabama. Right. That's the key there. It's the fact that because we're talking about home runs, we're talking about situations where you had to fight Clemson, Georgia, Alabama, and now Texas and USC going forward as they get things together, which means if they're not winning national championships for you, they're winning national championships. It's just for a different program. It's like compound interest. Is that what compound interest yeah. is? I don't know. But it like doubles the value that if they had Jordan Battle and J.C. Latham and yep. Alabama didn't, that's quite a thing. And also, if Alabama in 2014, when Ohio State and Alabama played, if Alabama had Joey Bosa and Ohio State didn't, yep, that might be enough. And Joey Bosa was in Nick Saban's room with the fancy mechanical door that shut by itself. Right. That was a real possibility. So it can feel like, I mean, you guys sort of both jumped in with like, no, that is a lot. So, I mean, I guess I agree with you. I didn't know if people might be like, well, you know, it's 1.4 a year. But again, over a roster, it, it adds up quickly. I mean, don't you look at this roster and think you can name the three guys that it would be, can't you? Like there'd be another left tackle probably in this program. There would be right. another defensive or linebacker in this program that could maybe help them as soon as this year. Certainly could help them in 2023 where they project it maybe needing help at those positions. Jordan Battle is literally perfect because Ohio State secondary was not good. Imagine if that was one yeah, of your safeties. Year, yeah. Yeah, yeah, last year. Yeah, I'm talking about 2020 when yeah. he got ejected from the game and he was a starter for them in yeah. year two. Sure. Or, or would, would Clark Phillips have, have applied here? Like yeah. they couldn't use Clark yeah. Phillips last year in that <laughs> secondary. Holy crap. So, I mean, you can, you, it's not theoretical. You can name them. So let's just use the 2017 class that had nine home runs as an example. These are the guys that fit the home run description. Chase Young from Maryland. And again, if there are listeners, I, I've covered all these guys. I think I have the ties. I, if I forgot one, it's like, oh, no, they're ant. You know, like, I, I apologize. I tried to really drill down on this, but maybe I did. But then I'm just giving Ohio State too much credit, right? Because I'm giving them credit for a home run that then we would say, well, isn't really a home run because their aunt lives in Columbus. So like, like when you or his family having a farm in Southern Ohio, I don't, that doesn't count. Right. To me. So, so I, you know, I, I tried to. I got him. 
So Chase Young from Maryland, Jeff Okuda, Baron Browning, and J.K. Dobbins, all from Texas. Sean Wade from Jacksonville. Wyatt Davis from California. Trayvon Grimes from Florida. Isaiah Pryor from IMG in Florida. And Haskell Garrett from Vegas. Now, there were a couple of those. There are sometimes like their friends that Tate Martell and Haskell Garrett went to the same high school. And Tate Martell's dad and grandpa went to Ohio State. But I still gave Haskell Garrett a home run because he's a top 100 player. And yes, Tate Martell's on his team. And that might have brought Zach Smith into that high school um, to Bishop Gorman in Vegas. But it wasn't like Haskell Garrett said, oh, I'm just going to go wherever Tate Martell goes. Right. Mm-hmm. So so I still give them credit for Tate Martell. Nathan, when you think about that group. Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, Baron Browning, Sean Wade, Wyatt Davis, J.K. Dobbins, Haskell Garrett. That's nine home runs, seven of whom made very, very large impacts on winning Ohio State football teams. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why people thought that that class was going to be the foundation for a national championship. And there are cycles where if it had synced up differently in, in you know, history, that probably would have been. You know, you run into um, a little goofy stuff against Clemson that game. You run into what LSU was that year, whatever. But that, that was a national championship recruiting class. That gives you the nucleus of a every national championship caliber recruiting class, like no question. And let me run through 2018 very quickly because it's similar numbers and it's not that, which again, people know. Right. It's 10 guys who I would consider home runs by our definition in 2018. Teron Vincent, Tyreek Johnson, Jeremy Ruckert, Taraja Mitchell, Tommy Togiai, Matthew Jones, Josh Proctor, Cameron Babb, Brian Sneed, and Tyler Friday. And when you think about seven of nine huge impacts in that first one, huge impact, like three at the most, maybe four. If you go Rucker, Togiai, Matthew Jones, Proctor, that's four. And I also, no offense to Jeremy Rucker, Tommy Togiai, Matthew Jones, and Josh Proctor, but that's also not exactly Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, and J.K. Dobbins. Right, Stephen? Is Chris Olave an infield home run because of how many things have to go right for an infield home run to actually happen. Yeah. It's like a, it's probably like, yeah, he, you round the bases. There's a couple errors in there through <laughs> yeah. it, through it, through it past the third baseman. So, um, and again, we're talking about, it's, it's a, it's a recruiting discussion, winning those yeah. battles in recruiting for guys that everybody wants. So those are two examples there, but Steven, the idea of nine and 10 home runs in back-to-back years, I don't think anyone's saying that should be the standard. That is a pretty remarkable group of back-to-back national top number two. Both those classes were number two in the country. And, and we mm-hmm. thought at the time maybe had a chance to be number one. That, I'm not saying – we aren't saying they should do that every year. Should we be, though, if they're trying to compete with two schools who are doing that every year in Georgia and Alabama? Or at bare minimum – because you said in 2017, and I don't think they have a class like 2017 again – until 2021 and now we'll see if it ends up you know you know producing the way 2017 did or if it turns into 2018 all over again but i don't think it's fair to at least every other year it should be this well here's the thing well nathan let, let what's your view on that first should we should we hold to that standard there are some tricky things about holding them to that standard because it's teams do have to recruit to need somewhat even over you're looking over a four-year period and what I'm what the contrast that I'm coming to in my head between 2017 and 18 and why it feels so different is for the, 
forgive me for a second, but for this 2018 class, are you including Nicholas Petit Frere? Because he, they're are you including that? Yeah, he's ties. That in Ohio ties. Yeah, he's okay. ties. And cause... are you including Tyreek Johnson? Is that enough yeah, of a I tie? Said him. Okay, you did say uh, Tyreek. Because I'm just I'm looking down this list, and it's like you look at that 2017, and it's like defensive end, uh, multiple corners, receiver, running back, and you look at this class, and when you take Petit Frere out as an offensive tackle, then it's like defensive tackle, um, you know, tight end inside linebackers like it's not it's not the same position for position impact so that's what makes 2017 special is that you hit home runs at the most opportune times it wasn't a a you didn't hit a 500 foot home run when you were already down 10 to nothing like you hit a grand slam in the bottom of the ninth when you're down by three runs with chase young you know what i mean that's the context that i think is important between 2017 and 18 and it makes 2017 a very hard thing to do it's like the circumstances are very special and they really crushed it and i mean yes i think that's an important point and we're going to get into that more like what positions that's part of the whole thing we're doing it's like what positions Mm -hmm. is it happening but also the 2018 guys just didn't develop in the same way in part because they were blocked by the 2017 guys but that's a class that just did not rise you know teron vincent and tyreek johnson did not become chase young and jeff okuda so mm-hmm. they, they could have, and they didn't. So, um, but the question is, we're talking about home runs, right? So if we were doing this exercise in Alabama, we are throwing out everybody from Ohio. If we were doing this exercise because we're Alabama beat writers, who would we throw out? Would we only throw out people from the state of Alabama? Or there's not, I mean, if we talk about the South, but I don't know that Alabama as a state alone, right, is enough. Ty Lockwood is three and a half hours from Tuscaloosa. He's six hours from Columbus. Like what we're talking about, no connection and you're not really local. And then, and you still get them. Part of the issue is, is Bama actually hitting that many more home runs, Stephen, because they don't have to hit as many because they have more guys who are, you know, within three hours of campus, right? Yeah. So the 2023 class is six Alabama guys, to your point. Fair. They just happen to also be the number two corner, the number two safety, you know, highly rated guys. So take those six guys out of there. I think Caleb Downs is a home run because he's from Georgia and you beat, you beat another top tier program for him. I think Richard Young is a home run. I think Justice Haynes is definitely a home run because not only is he from Georgia, he's a Georgia legacy. So he's he's supposed to be a bulldog, and he just chose not to because Alabama did what it did. And then Eli Holstein's probably a home run because he's the top 60 quarterback. But I get where you're coming from. Alabama's in the South, and so you almost have to look at it differently than just like, did you rack up in your own state? Because you almost don't have – Alabama doesn't have to rack up Alabama every single year and still have a top-tier recruiting class because it's in the South, and it's the premier program in the country. So I get that. Doug, is kind of what you're asking. Like, does Caleb Downs feel like a home run to Alabama? Like, it's, I, it's, it's like the perspective. Like, you're playing, you're playing on a baseball field with no fence. And it's like, if Alabama or if Ohio State gets Caleb Downs, it seems like a home run. But for Alabama, they would be like, oh, well, that would have just been like a deep flyout because, or, you know what I mean? Or it's a double. It because it's not they don't have to hit it as far to get their home runs. They don't have to hit as many home runs, right? right. Because they're in the south. He's mm-hmm. Caleb Downs is four hours from Tuscaloosa. He's nine hours from Columbus. 
So I don't think he just drew a circle around his house and said, I don't want to go more than 250 miles from home. But I also like it's I think in the South is not as much about state lines that, yes, you had to beat Georgia for Caleb Downs. But I think Alabama potentially can feel like a local team to guys in Georgia and guys in Tennessee and guys, maybe those two states particularly in a way that, you know, and and there, by the way, we could have, and again, we could have extended the local area to Indiana for Ohio state and Illinois. It is different because like if Georgia doesn't get Caleb downs, they just get like the next guy in their backyard. Who's a top 100 recruit while with Ohio, part of the reason why you have to, prioritize Ohio so much is there's not always a Jack Sawyer. Yeah. So you need to make sure Jack Sawyer stays. You have to, Ohio State kind of has to go out of its area if it wants to compete for national championships, while Georgia, Alabama, and Clemson to a lesser extent doesn't. So, yes, they they don't have to hit as many home runs because of that. Which is not new. Uh, This is, we are not, we are not breaking new ground here on the idea that there's more good players in the South. But also, like, I didn't want to take away credit. Ohio State got Austin Mack. Who's from Indiana? He's from Indiana, from Mm -hmm. Fort Wayne. I didn't want to not give Ohio State credit for Austin Mack, right? Even though he's still pretty close. So I gave them home run credit for Austin Mack. I gave them home run credit for Jamarco Jones, who's from Chicago, right? Although I think you can, if we were doing multiple layers, you could do a Midwest layer and say, well, those are triples. Maybe they're not quite home runs because Ohio State is probably still the closest program to Austin Mack and Jamarco Jones that can legitimately win a national championship, mm-hmm. which might be the thing, as opposed to if you're trying to get Caleb Downs or Richard Young or Justice Haynes, they have to jump past a couple programs that can win national championships to get to you. So I think there are layers to our home runs here. So that's, that's the baseline. It's 6.2 between 13 and 18 and 4.6 since then. And we're saying that's probably enough of a drop off to matter, right? That's Nathan. That's our official. That's our official take on that. It's not disastrous, but it's a difference that matters. And I'm, I'm really curious what your take is going to maybe be on this and maybe you won't have it today, but it's worth pondering because clearly there was a time when Ohio state was doing this at a, at a higher rate. And then they went on the field and beat Alabama head to head with those guys in route to a national championship. So where was the fracture where was it just a matter of Saban was still building his momentum at that point And it hadn't fully, I use momentum after we kind of dismissed it earlier, but you know what I'm saying is the, the momentum of the entire program hadn't hit its stride. And now that has, has pulled some of the ability for Ohio state to do this away. Like where was the inflection no. point where this switched? I think um, this might segue. I think just the positions they were dominating changed from when they went from Urban Meyer to Ryan Day. Well, I have I have a conclusion at the end of this. I do have. Okay. Um, and it is zero percent in my run related to Alabama. I don't think this is a result of somebody else got better at something yeah. that's hurting Ohio State. I think mm-hmm. this is mostly an Ohio State conversation. Mm-hmm. So. Those thirty, it was thirty-seven top thirty-seven home run recruits between two thousand thirteen and two thousand eighteen. Those six classes, twenty-three home run recruits between twenty nineteen and twenty twenty-three. Nineteen percent, seven of the thirty-seven between twenty thirteen and twenty eighteen 
or quarterbacks or receivers. Yep. 61% of the home runs from 2019 on are quarterbacks or receivers. It's 14 of 23. It goes from seven of 37 to 14 of 23. Now, back then, you know who they weren't getting? CJ Stroud, Dylan Rayola, Devin Brown, for all the things Urban Meyer could do, he didn't go get guys like that. He's going, he's going to get JT Barrett, man. So, like, you know, that's not only we, again, this is the part where I don't want to turn, huh, why are they wasting their time on quarterbacks? What are you doing, Ryan? Where's your defensive tackle recruiting? That's not the point. But, Steven, 61%. 14 of 23, that's an imbalance. They are excellent at quarterbacks and receivers, and they are not keeping up at the other spots. Ohio State has the two positions, you know, reeling on all cylinders that you absolutely need to be elite to win a national championship, but the other positions have to be able to get you to the game, and they're Mm. lacking in that right now because, yeah, it's it's fine that they didn't get – they didn't need C.J. Stroud when they won a national championship. You want to know why? Because they had Joey Bosa, Von Bell, Darren Lee, Ezekiel Elliott. Like right. their wide receivers and quarterbacks were probably, if you had to rank from that 2014 national championship game, the best position group to the last position group, wide receiver and quarterback are probably eight and nine at best. And you won a national, but also at the time you could do that. Now that changed yes. over time when the Sean Watson came up with the Glendale and lit up Ohio state's entire secondary full of first rounders. So that's fine. But to the point I made earlier where we're doing an exercise on who's doing their job and who's not the positions you need to be elite to win national titles are doing their job while the others aren't right now. And there's a lot of context for why that is. When I completely changed over time, Georgia just won a national championship with. No, that's true. Your favorite, your favorite Foghorn Leghorn impression. That's fair. It has completely changed over time. If you really nail those other positions, I think you can do something still at the national level, but it, you're not giving yourself a lot of, uh, uh, room for error. But, so fine. Either have an elite level Heisman quarterback or have maybe the best defense in the last decade. Yeah. But like Bama right. went from AJ McCarron and yeah. um, Choker yeah. and Greg McElroy to Tua and Bryce Young and Mac Jones. Right? Yeah. So, so I do think, but your point is taken. Nathan. And your Clemson, point is taken. And as much as there's all the, all the old, uh, all shucks, we turn our three stars into five stars that Clemson did. Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence, like, Right. Clemson is definitely the best example of this because their talent is just not up to par for a team who has two national championships. It's just they had back to back generational quarterbacks. And I do. I mean, we we have these conversations a lot. This it really is. It's good. It's good context. But this really is. It's I don't think there's anything stopping Ohio State from doing what it needs to do. Like, I don't I don't I don't think Mm -hmm. there's enough of a wall with Bama and Georgia or anybody else, they've gone into California. Yes. Texas is back a little bit. So you're probably not going to have a Browning Okuda Dobbins kind of triple dip out of Texas like they did in that one year. But I, I don't think there's any outside force that it would absolutely prevent them from recruiting more home runs at the other positions. So, but we'll get that. So, so it's 61% day era quarterbacks and receivers, 19% Meyer era quarterbacks and receivers defense, defensive side of the ball. Anybody on the defensive side of the ball, urban Meyer era, 13 to 18 
19 of 37, 51%. Ryan Day era, 5 of 23, 22%. Nathan, we are not dismissing the need for quarterback and receiver. Previously, in that, that first group, it was even, offense and defense. It was comprehensive. It was across the board. It is not even here. Five of 23. And the five defenders, by the way, are 2020 Cody Simon, Mm -hmm. 21 JT, JK, Mm -hmm. JK Mm -hmm. Johnson, Jordan Hancock, Mm -hmm. 23 Jason Moore. Uh, Two others I want to throw in there. You probably read it the same way I read it when I first did this research. The way they have the 22 class right now, they have it split up by early enrollees and guys who showed up late, which I hate when they do that. But oh, yeah. Kenyatta Jackson and Amari Abar were both top 60, oh, okay. top 100 recruits as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, I hate yeah. that 247. Yeah, I hate that 247 sports does that with the early enrollees. Just keep it how it is. So it's actually seven out of 23. Yes. yes. Seven out of, no, well, it's actually seven out of 25. Yeah. Oh, seven out of 25. Which so actually might make, yeah, that might make the math worse. Uh, no, it, 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 it increases. It goes from 22 yeah. to 28. But okay. it's still half of what it used to be, right, half right. of what it was during the urban era. And it, I mean, look, it shows up on the field. I was doing that piece earlier this week about the, the top, the concept of the top 10 defense and 2015, 2016, 2017, 2019, Ohio State was not a top 10 defense. It was a top five, top three defense in almost every category, whether you're talking about total defense, yards per play, points per game. The uh, the the FEI defensive rating for football outsiders rarely were they stretching even down to like five six on those rankings, and it the, the proof was on the field. And then now three of the last four years, Ohio State struggles to stay in the top forty of any of those numbers. So why 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 has it not been as much on the defensive side of the ball, Stephen? What what do you think is is the cause here? So Nathan and I kind of had this discussion on a uh, Tuesday pod, but I think it's a combination of Ryan Day is an elite offensive coach. So even if the offense has a bad year or two, or there's a bunch of turnover on the offensive coaching staff, there's no reason as an offensive recruit that you wouldn't think that Ohio State's offense will still be elite under Ryan Day as the head coach. As a defensive recruit, you're a five ten, five-star player. What about Ohio State's defense under Ryan Day would make you believe that they're going to have an elite defense while you're here? I mean, 2019 when they were the best defense in the country. Right. A year when he was coaching a bunch of guys that he didn't recruit who came here under Urban Meyer. And they were already developed in third-year guys. So one so one elite defense and the other years it's been one of the worst defenses in the country, basically. I, I think – an issue there. I mean, I think 2019 does speak to what could be an issue here, which is the lack of continuity in the staff. You had Kerry Combs, who helped build the team that was on the field in 2019, but then he's gone and Jeff Halfley comes in. But before he can be the guy that kind of lays a foundation there, you have more turnover. I assume that was probably a factor, but as I was kind of pushing back on when we talked about this on Tuesday's pod, like, Everybody has that. Everybody has some level of turnover. I think you've got to find a way to push through it. Right. But Bama, Nick Saban is a defensive coach by nature, and Nick Saban is known to have defenses, and he has benefit of the doubt built in. Kirby Smart's de- – Georgia's defenses are always pretty good, so he has benefit of the doubt. Ryan Day doesn't have any benefit of the doubt that his defenses are going to be elite. 
So it is kind of like, show me first before I sign up to do this. All right, quick break. We'll come back and finish this conversation. We'll give like our closing arguments here next. All right, Doug, Nathan, Stephen back. I do, I, 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 I did the exact thing that Stephen's describing. So actually like when you throw in a couple of the other guys that I didn't count in 22, it does bring the average per class up above five. So it's still a gap from like six and a half to five, but it's not 4.8 anymore. So like it is slightly better. There is still a gap, but the overall point remains um, more quarterback and receiver heavy in this era and, and not as much defense, especially. And back under urban, there was about a guy or a guy and a half, 1.2 guys more per year. And it was split evenly offensive defense. I think my primary let me ask let me ask this first nathan ohio state is ohio state tradition nfl guys huge stadium cool uniforms nil opportunities right all those kind of things how much do you think the reputation slash perception slash style of the head coach matters is that a in recruiting does that, how big is that? And I guess you would include like ability to close, right? Like lock down the guy when he gets here on his official visit or he's in the office. Again, the story that Joey Bosa has told a million times, Nick Saban hits a button and the door automatically closes. You go in Nick Saban's office and it feels like you're in a meeting with the Pope, right? Like how much does that matter, Nathan? I think having a reputation of being a winner matters. I think having a reputation of being someone who uh, cares about players and relates to players matters. Um, I don't, it's hard for me to conceive that because Ryan day is an offensive minded coach, the defensive minded player, the defensive players wouldn't want to play here. I think he can explain to them why they're just as big of a part of the equation as an offensive player. Like Lincoln Riley could do at Oklahoma. Yeah, but Oklahoma's not Ohio state, right? It's close in terms of it's what got, the, all the other stuff tradition. It's got some winning tradition down there. I'm just saying, a lot like, of winning we, we talk about he, Ohio State being a a brand above that. We do, but oh. no, but we're but we're taking so here. So I'll, here's what I think. I think, and it's not about guys not wanting to come here. It's about get. It's not a negative. It's not guys don't want to come here. It's persuading guys to come here. The best of the best, the elite of the elite, guys who could go anywhere and don't have a connection here. They come in maybe as a no. You've got to get them to yes, right? It's not, mm-hmm. it's not that they come in as a yes and then you turn and then they're turning in the no's. So I think maybe what I think is that Urban Meyer, because he was Urban Meyer, because he was two-time national champion at Florida Urban Meyer, because he had the pop collar, because he, he just had a thing. And that was not specific as much. Now, listen, he was a progenitor of the spread offense. We get that, all those things. But I think by the time he got to Ohio State, urban was urban, and that was everywhere. He wasn't a, a specific kind of scheme guru, right? He was Urban yeah. Meyer. He was a winner. He was the winner. And that attracted everybody. That attracted Von Bell. That attracted... Raquan McMillan that attracted Ezekiel Elliott that attracted everybody. It's not Ryan Day's fault, but that's not what Ryan Day came here with. 
Brian Day was the quarterback's coach in the NFL who came here and revolutionized the offense. My gosh, by the end, people were tired of Urban's offense. Revolutionized the offense. But I think Ryan Day's coolness only extends to half the team. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't care about players and he doesn't build a good culture. And I think the more you get to know Ryan Day, the more as a recruit, you may realize that. But we're talking about some guy from Georgia or Texas or California or Florida who just is like, I don't know anything about Ohio State. Are they cool? Is it cool to go there? And I don't think it carries as much weight for the defensive guys. The the offensive guys are bought in. The quarterbacks and and receivers are lining up because they want to play on this offense for those guys, Ryan Day and Brian Hartline. But, Stephen, I just think it's it's half as powerful. And maybe that will build over time. But I I don't think it's because the defenses haven't been good. How do I – it's like a reverse of that. If the defenses have had been good, it may have given him that power, but he didn't come in with that power because he's an offensive guy where urban kind of came in with the total package. And so I don't think it was that people said, Oh, look, urban has a great defense. It's just that urban urban permeated everything more. Steven. It's literally the only negative to starting on third base uh, to starting at a program this high for your, the start of your career, because even with urban Meyer and Nick Saban, Clemson's a different story because Clemson was nothing before Dabo got there. But most coaches get a chance to build their resume and who they are up before they get to these spots. And so by then there's an idea of what they are and now they can just maximize it because they're here. Ryan Day is already at the spot where he can maximize it and he has to spend that time also building his reputation as a head coach and not just an offensive guru. So you're right. It's not it's it's not as simple as if you know, the defenses were better, more players would be coming, but it would help. It would help if they had a couple more good. If the de- that's why I go back to like, if the defense is top 10 this year, I think it peaks some interest. Not you might be, it might not peak interest for 2023 because you're kind of done here. Like you're not flipping. If you flip Caleb Downs from Alabama, then we're having a different story. That's not just a home run. You took a couple victory laps after that, but what can it do? Especially since you've got, one, your defensive coordinator is at the biggest school he's ever been at. This is kind of Perry Eliano's coming out party, and Tim Walton's been in the NFL for the last decade. If you have a top 10 defense, what can that do when you're trying to recruit 24, 25, 26, and on down the line for a head coach who's still trying to build his reputation as a head coach? And I guess, Nathan, see if this makes sense to you. To me, it's not that they ha- haven't been able to recruit defensive players because their defense is bad. It's that they haven't been able to land home run defensive players because their defense isn't good. It like is that is there no distinction there? It's not that it's not yeah. that this has prevented them from landing defensive players. It's that they haven't gotten the boost to land defensive players because there was nothing ingrained. There's nothing ingrained to a the program under Ryan Day that is inherent. So you've got to build it. But I, I don't think it's that like people think, oh, that defense sucks. It's they just don't have a reason. They don't have a reason to think they're good. Maybe that's the same thing. And I'm just in the mirror looking at myself. No, I, I get what you're getting at. And how much do you think 2020 is to a factor in what we're seeing right now? Because, again, 2018 was supposed to be kind of the blip, right? They had that, that great three-year run that I was just talking about where they were. They were not just a good defense. That was like a great defense year in and year out. Top five top three in the country and all of those important categories I was talking about 2018 
things go awry, but they bounce right back in 2019 and the best in the country, like arguably like number one in, in, in multiple of those categories. And then 2020, they win, but sort of in spite of the defense. And I know we kind of had a thing last week where I was like, well, when you factor in the opponents and the COVID and all that stuff, 2020 can be a little bit of a, a weird year to judge, but now it's back-to-back years of that's maybe where the word momentum comes in. When your program doesn't have any momentum on one side of the ball, is it affecting the guys that you can actually appeal to in recruiting? I would almost say that 2021 is the problem more than 2020 because that 2020 season, they also had the 2021 recruiting class, which to the point of reputations, the only defensive coach that's not struggling in recruiting is Larry Johnson. We just listed off seven top 100 recruits who are home runs for them are defensive linemen. So Larry's right. still being Larry. Everybody else is struggling. I think. Right. But I would 20- just say that, that- that 2021 class is the 2019 season affects it more than 2020 did. It was being that season. Right. Was That's what I'm saying. Very much the, put together. Well, I just, I don't, well, I don't know. Cause it took you a while to get to, to land JT there for a little bit. You had to wait a little bit. Well, That's the one so, guy. I mean, I mean, that's that's probably your Chase Young that the, the way we're talking about him at this point. But th- that's not the point. The point of the matter is, I think it's 2021 is the issue because it also resulted in a 2022 class where outside of defensive line recruiting, it really wasn't up to par on the defensive side of the ball. So, so has has this exercise, Doug, given you any new perspective on how this staff is put together and the way that they've hired people for this staff, even to the point of like, you felt like you needed to go get the guru on defense to really scheme it up. But if you're not getting the players of the Alabama level, is he going to be able to scheme this up to the extent he needs to? So I guess, so like when you write Cody Simon, top 100 national linebacker from New Jersey, Jeff Halfley was really involved in that recruitment. Yes. Jeff Halfley helped make Cody Simon happen. And Jeff Halfley had Clark Phillips, and then they lost Clark Phillips because Jeff Halfley left. So I think Jeff Halfley may have been the type of recruiter that could recruit on relationships and personality and did not have to build a great defense first Yeah, and was starting to get guys anyway, which then would have led to a great defense, which if Jeff Halfley was still here, I think they wouldn't be in the same spot they are right now. Yeah, I agree. But now... They're trying to do the same thing. They're trying to land Caleb Downs on relationships and personality, and it didn't work. And so, and Tackett Curtis and everybody else that that applies to. Mm-hmm. And so I do think it might have to be now that Jim Knowles, Mr. Schemer, is going to have to scheme up a defense that attracts people because I don't know that we have proof that the relationship personality defensive coaches can go get home runs without a great defense to sell. What do you think? I think it might. It's just, you got to sell. You got, you got, it's a give and take a little bit. And I think this time around, Ohio state's got to be the one who gives a little bit more because a year from now, we might be saying, Oh, Perry Eliano and Tim Walton put together this elite corner defensive back class based off relationships and all that fun, all that other gushy stuff. But what would help with that is if also Denzel Burke, Jordan Hancock and JK Johnson take their step this year, because then you're pairing it and not just relying. So they were able to solely rely on that in the 2020 class as well, as long as they gave it some time to get to the summer, that wasn't going to work this time coming off. Like we just said, one good defense in four years, but, but, but maybe it would have like they had, we thought it was going to work. 
because we thought they were going to get mm. Caleb Downs and Taka Curtis. Yeah. And yeah. then we would have been saying, hey, their defense has not been good. And the relationships and personality right. is enough. The brotherhood, all that's enough. And instead, they didn't get them, which leads me to think they might have to do the defense first, right? Good yeah. de- good talent leads to a good defense, but they might be in a spot where they have to have a good defense to allow them to get the good talent. So, I mean, even when you look at again, I was using this home run phrase with, with people I was talking to. And I said, well, you know, JT's a home run. Travion's a home run, right? When you think about recent guys. And they said, J.K. Johnson's a home run. Jordan Hancock's a home run, right? And that's true, but Jordan Hancock and J.K. Johnson like stand out and they were Kerry Combs, right? Mm -hmm. So, yes, they were home runs by the guy who was a proven great recruiter and great developer of talent who turned out to be not a very good defensive coordinator. And so you have two of your home runs. When you look at the home runs on the defensive side of the ball that are here right now, there's five guys, right, since 2020 on the defensive side. Well, seven guys. Four of them are defensive linemen, which is Larry Johnson. Two of them are defensive or cornerbacks who were recruited by Kerry Cones, and one was Cody Simon that was a lot of Jeff Halfley work. So it's Larry Johnson, as we said, and then the other guys who made it happen aren't here anymore. Your, your two biggest home run hitters are a guy who's not on staff anymore and probably never will be again after his second stint. And a guy who we think every year, the next year could be his last. Which is why it's so important for these other guys who are new here to start building their reputation. And it needs to start this season. But also, Doug, to the, just for your own research, when you were doing this and you got the day's part, is safety the only spot where you just couldn't find a home run guy? Who's the last safety home run for you? Uh, I didn't break it up specifically by that. I have the names. The la- who would okay. who is the last safety home run? I think Who's it's the last Proctor. safety home run for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Proctor. Right. Yeah. So they're going Proctor, on five years without a home run at a Proctor spot that they're gonna. Yeah, they're going on five years without a home run at a spot that's gonna take up three spots on the field for them. Yeah. And even that home run is like, even that home run. I mean, we're talking about just just guys that they signed, but is like is in terms of the result, like that home run is still like. In the air, headed for the foul pole, and we don't know which side of it. Yeah, it's well, actually just, land just, on. It's just as the re- yeah, just as the recruited is because one, he's the only player they've ever right. gotten out of Oklahoma. But yes, you're right. Now that we're five years into this thing, it's like eh, does that really go as far as we think it went. But yes. So when you think about home runs by this definition, right in the day era, nineteen, Harry Miller and Jamison Williams. Yeah. Neither of whom, for various reasons. They're not on the team anymore, and they weren't on the team last year. 2020, you have four receivers, mm-hmm. a quarterback, and Cody Simon. And then, like, Luke Whippler's right on the edge. Right? I included I included Luke Whippler in this because he's the number two so center. In yeah. A cla- yeah, and, like, the next – it's the, the top center in that class was, like, 60, and then the next three centers were, like, 108 through 115. So I'm including him. So I did include him in the seven that I counted this year, but it's yeah. still five of the seven are receivers or quarterbacks yep. in 2020. And then in 21, Quinn Ewers, JT, Amekeg Buka, Travion Henderson, Kyle McCord, JK Johnson, Jordan Hancock, Evan Pryor. So again, you're like leaning back into, okay, there's a, you know, you got the best receiver. You got the best quarterback who left right away. 
these two corners that people like to point out, but Kerry Combs is gone. And then Tony Alford did his thing and got two running backs in that class. So it's, you don't want to be dismissive of it. There are, again, there are plenty of programs that would, would kill to get one home run a year. And we're saying, Oh, they only had seven home runs in that recruiting class. But Nathan, are we making, even though my numbers were mistaken at the start. And again, I'm just going to throw out again, the revised numbers. And I apologize for um, missing the stuff the first time around. Meyer, 13 to 18, 19% quarterbacks and receivers. Day, 19 to 23, 58% quarterbacks and receivers. Urban Meyer, 51% defense. Ryan Day, 28% defense. So I apologize, not quite as stark, but still pretty a pretty big gap, Nathan. Are we making any kind of salient point here, or are we just talking ourselves in circles with numbers? I think we're making a very salient point, because even if you go back to correct the, correct the number of, you said it was more like five, uh, yeah. per class right then but still again that 2020 team couldn't use two and a half more top 100 defensive players especially any again covid threw that whole thing off they could use they had some better players and couldn't use them against alabama but i mean the, it's it's right there in your faces i think and the, it's it's the secret sauce for how ohio state s- keeps staying in the national championship conversation um, or or doesn't drop back to what Steven's talking about that 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 Oklahoma word, which to much of the country is like a a prominent word. Like it's it, man, if we can only be Oklahoma, my God! But in, at Ohio, at, in Columbus, in Ohio, that is like a cautionary tale yeah. of, of what you don't want your program to become, or or where you don't want your program to plateau is maybe the best way to say that. No, when you're trying to compete for national championships, getting to the playoff every year and getting blown out is not what you're trying to do. And the reason why this is a big point is because now we're looking at a 2023 class, which is almost the epitome of it. They have one, two, three, four, five, six top 100 guys, seven if you want to include Jelani Thurman since he's 106, and you have one defensive player. And it's three wide receivers, Luke Montgomery, who was a hometown kid. And then Thurman, that's a heck, heck of a get. You got that kid out of Georgia. And Jason Moore, that's another kid out of – so that's what we're right. talking about here. We're seeing a – we just gave you the big picture. Here's the small picture in a class that's supposed to sign in six months. So – and again, when you look at last year, in 2022, the incoming freshman, Stephen, right? Mm-hmm. Like just – just not a lot of home runs at all. It was not a very no. home runish class. Um, their home runs, or if you go to two four seven sports page, click down on where it says commits and go to decommits, and their names are James Singletary, Desan McCullough, and Terrence Brooks. <laughs> yeah, Yeesh. because the 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 home run, the actual home runs, man, that hurt. Defensive that, players that has that to was, land with a fly. defensive God. players. <laughs> that's God. another. That's another thing here. The bulk of the decommitments are defensive players in most years. Yeah. All, as a matter of fact, all of the top 100 commits have, as a matter of fact, before Ty Lockwood, all the top 150 commit, decommits have been defensive players for a team who has struggled defensively all but one year under Ryan Day. I don't know, but like it's understandable, right? I don't, this is, this is not like a, I mean, I'm joking, obviously. This is not like a fire Ryan Day conversation. It's not. But but it is an acknowledgement, I think. We're trying to put some numbers on what our eyes are telling us. And yeah. it's it's not – I'm not even sure that it's a criticism because you get it. It's not Ryan Day's fault that he didn't have two national championship rings when he got to Ohio State. But mm-hmm. I think for all of the things that are going right with this program right now, 
here it's a little bit of a of a weak spot. La- I would say the only two home runs in last year's class by our definition are Devin Brown, right? Um, and and like as you said, Devin Brown, Keon Grays, and then Kenyatta Jackson and Mari Abor doing, you know, that's kind of like Larry but Johnson doing in, his thing. The um I'll include Keon Grays and um as far as home runs who aren't quarterbacks and wide receivers, I'm just saying Amari Abor and Kenyatta yeah. Jackson. Yeah, because but the other two because the other ones are like quarterback Quarter, and receivers. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, Ryan Day was going to have to come here and stand on his own two feet and, and build a version of this. It wasn't all going to just be carryover from Urban Meyer. And I think if he had come here and wasn't recruiting and developing quarterbacks and wasn't bringing in wide receiver talent, we'd be talking about how that was an issue here. For sure. So you can only criticize that so much. I just think what's happened here is not the best case scenario hasn't happened. The best case scenario with him taking over would have been all of that defensive momentum, even without Kerry Combs being here, even with whatever would have still spilled forward. Just I guess just based on its own and based on what have happened out of 2019 and the best case scenario didn't happen. This isn't the worst case scenario. It's just not the best case scenario. And they've got to find a way to correct that. No, it's not worst case. It's almost just like base floor level though of, with Ryan Day here, given what he showed us with Dwayne Haskins, you're saying, okay, four years into this, the quarterbacks are awesome, the receivers are awesome, but we're not sure about everything else yet. You'd have been like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And I think Ryan Day would say his answer left for Boston College after a year. Yep. So like, like he, he, he answered it so well that the guy that Jeff Halfley was out the door. And, but I do think, and we've all known that we've, we've all, everybody listening, we've all discussed that sort of from a scheme standpoint, right. With Kerry Combs for two years. But I think this is a, a talent acquisition standpoint that has at times been covered up because the quarterback and receiver recruiting is so awesome, Steven. And mm-hmm. we just look at, Raw numbers, number of five stars, overall points rankings, where they rank in the country. And it's great. Nobody is quibbling with that. But when you go inside the numbers a little bit, there's an incredibly strong area and an area that is obviously not as good. Yeah, it's you're he is correct in the sense that they are achieving the goal of putting together top five classes. They're just not balancing at some point that's going to show up, which I'm going to keep hampering this point. What also makes this year interesting is you can do this again. If it's a really good defense, you can do it again next year because it's still a bunch of guys who aren't draft eligible in defense. Yeah. It's the, at least from a superstar standpoint. It almost makes me wonder, with the way the recruiting services break everything down, why don't they do offensive recruiting and defensive recruiting? What if they did? Ohio State has the number one offensive class in the country and the number 16 defensive class or the number 11 or the number nine or the number seven or whatever it was. Wouldn't that be interesting? I think that would be a, a great post on our site right now. I mean, it's it's going to take some it's going to take some conjuring and some yeah. mathematizing, but uh, I guess we have a month the until raw, the season the starts. Is there, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll mathematize. All right. I'm sorry for messing up the numbers initially. I, I certainly don't want to not give Ohio State the credit they have. I, as Steven said, I just kind of read the thing wrong. The overall point stands again I, I never want to get those numbers wrong i apologize for that i'm glad we got them corrected in the end thursday will be it wouldn't make a huge change in the it didn't hugely change the numbers no i, I and it, it didn't change the vibe right right and we're, right. we're very, change the premise yeah we're very big on vibe here so thursday practice will start we will be there on thursday morning it's a great time to be a tech subscriber at 614-350-3315 
we don't wake you up. We don't really ever text until 10 a.m. Eastern. The Browns people texted at 8.30 Eastern on Monday because the Deshaun Watson suspension came down. It's got to be like that level of news where it's like, I don't want to. People are like eating their breakfast and getting in their car. And but people on the West Coast are are dead asleep. But like, oh, my God, you got to know this. So we're not going to wake you up with, oh, my gosh, you should have seen what J.K. Johnson looked like when he was stretching. We're not going to wake you up, but we'll get it to you really early. And you don't have to go on Twitter. You don't have to wait for the stories. You don't have to wait for the podcast. You don't have to wait for the videos. So it's two-week free trial, 614-350-3315. To everybody who subscribes, thanks so much. To anyone who's thinking about doing it, I think this would be a good time to try. See you Thursday on the pod. For Stephen Means, for Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.